says on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us what a great statement of faith do you love to worship the Lord I mean, he has created us for this he has created us for th that's why you exist that's why I exist well good morning Good morning. I, thank you for being here. You don't know what it is. It's so encouraging, and I hope it's encouraging to you when you're able to hear brothers and sisters in Christ singing praise and worship around you. There is something about that that people minister to me, and I hope they minister to you when you're able to hear them sing worship songs back to Him. I couldn't help but think as, as we went through, in fact, as all three of our services, just Deuteronomy 4.24 that says, I am the Lord your God. And I am a consuming fire. And I'm a jealous God. In other words, he wants, he, wants, he wants us to move to the point to where He is a huge priority in our life. And this morning we're going to look at two groups of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and then uh, Genesis chapter 3. And just a quick note to those guys in the back. Um, I'm changing my sermon. And I'm only preaching two points. So you guys just try to stay with me as best you can. Uh, if you want to know what I said in the, early, the other services, then you can order that CD. But I, I believe God has a specific word uh, this morning. For us in this place, and for those that have gathered in this service, you see, every one of our services are different because there's different people that show up, and there's different needs, and there's different things that, that's a spirit that God wants to speak into. And uh, to the very best of my ability, I am always going to be sensitive to that. And it's not about an outline, and it's not about points, and it's not about our agenda, but it's about Him. And so if you guys are good with it, I'm good with it, and hopefully you guys, the tech team, can follow me. And here we go. Uh, just a couple of things. I'm supposed to tell you this. Easter, it's going to look totally different than it's ever looked here before. Uh, we're going to be off campus. We're going back to Memorial Hall. Six months ago, God led us. Uh, to start looking at doing it again at Memorial Hall so that we could have one service put everybody together and so we, we booked it we planned it uh, and then God did an amazing thing in the last six months we've experienced such growth that we can't do one service we're gonna do two services there and because we wouldn't fit in in one service and and so we're going to do two services. It's our plan to pack it out. It only seats 1,700. And so uh, if not, we'd have to do five or six services here. And a lot of people wouldn't get to have an Easter weekend because of that. And so as a result, we'll be at Memorial Hall, 9 and 11 o'clock, two services. Uh, don't miss it. And invite friends. And they're going to hear the gospel. And, and then four days later, we'll be back, April the 9th, Lincoln Brewster. If you haven't gotten your tickets, it's really not a concert. It is a worship experience. He is an amazing worship leader. A lot of his songs that he has written, we do here. And so if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you're going to want to get those immediately following the service. You can get those because we're about ready to go live uh, um, through um, on radio. Thank you, whoever said that. So, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you need to have that place marked, and then you also need to have Genesis chapter 3 marked in your Bibles. You know, when you look at statistics in our world, you find that statistics say that 95% of Americans believe in God. 95% of Americans believe that there is a God, they believe that God exists, but you and I can look around and you realize, and I realize, that not 95% of the people in America live like God exists, right? 
I mean, the, I mean, when you just look at the statistics, you realize that, yeah, a majority of Americans may say there is a God and we believe in God, but it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to look around and know that not everybody, like, lives that way. Fact is, the dangerous thing for me and you is this, is that you can live, you can exist in a church, you can go to a church 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you can never change. I mean, I mean to where, where church for you is someone putting God on exhibit. Our job as pastors, our job as a church, is not to put God on exhibit every weekend, but it's for you to experience God, for you to come in and connect with Him and be able to experience Him to the depths of your life. And the dangerous thing is this. You can be in church all your life and never change. That's one reason I'm so glad God brought me out of the Bible Belt. Some of the meanest Christians I ever met are in the Bible Belt. I'm just telling you. They've been in church all of their life, and it's a culture, and it's, it's just head knowledge and another, all this stuff, but they gossip about one another. They slander one another. They talk about the church they're attending, and they talk about every other church in town. And the dangerous thing is this, is you and I can be in church all of our life, and we can never change. There's a term that is being thrown around a whole lot in Christian circles and by some, some missiologist, and a missiologist is a person that's looking at church growth and, and how it impacts us, and they're, ter they're throwing terms around. It's, it's called practically atheist. And what they're saying now is we've got a lot of practically atheist people to where they're believers, they, they, may, they may be spending eternity with God in heaven, they prayed and asked Jesus to come into their life, but there is nothing about their life that's any different from the world. They live life like the world, they make decisions like the world, and there is nothing special, there is nothing different. And Paul is speaking into this community, to the Corinthian church, and he has a specific word for them about this issue of a relationship with Jesus Christ and a deepening with him. And so this morning, I, I've changed and, and altered, and, and we're just going to look at two points. And the first thing is this, is that your relationship with God must become a priority. That's the first thing that the Apostle Paul said, that if your relationship is real with him, and you're not going to be a, a, a practically atheist person to where you may say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but you know what? I'm going to live my life as if he doesn't exist, as if, as if he doesn't care about my lifestyle, about my purity, about my integrity, about my character, about my words, about my actions, about my decisions. And Paul came down and began to tell them that you've got to make him a priority in your life. Watch this, verses 1 and 2. This is what he says. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Now he's referring to the cross. Remember the foolishness of the cross that some people stumble over the foolishness of the cross that Jesus Christ went to the cross died and was resurrected for our sins but then he goes but do bear with me it's a huge imperative I, I, man I wish you'd bear with me but please bear with me because this is so important I'm about ready to speak into your life for I feel a divine jealousy I mean a lot of times we look at jealousy as a negative thing listen there is healthy jealousy and Jesus has that. God has that. That he has a jealousy that he wants us to be committed to him, that he's a priority in our life. But Deuteronomy 4.24 says, I am the Lord your God, and I am a consuming fire, and I am jealous. You may have no other gods before me, that nothing else would capture your thoughts or your attentions like I do. 
for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now listen, that doesn't mean a lot to us in our time because our engagement process, when you and I get engaged in our culture, in our time, it's totally different in the first century. It's totally different than in, in Jewish times and Jewish culture. You see, when a man and a woman became betrothed to one another, engaged, the engagement period was for a year. It was almost like they were already married. They referred to each other as husband and wife. They did not live together. They did not share the same bed. The bride still lived at her house with, with her mom and dad, and the groom still lived at his house. But they were, they were betrothed to one another. It was in preparation for the wedding, what was to come, and they were expected to remain pure during that period. In fact is, if you wanted to break up, if you wanted to split up, it wasn't as easy in our time where you just give the ring back or keep the ring, whatever your situation is. <laughs> Call it off, you know, send out letters to people. When you were betrothed in their time, it took a certificate of divorce, even though you hadn't been married. So Mary and Joseph deal, right? And so there were some things that could break it. Adultery, if adultery took place, if someone wasn't pure during that period then you could get a certificate of a divorce because of adultery happened. And it was the father's, it was the father's responsibility of the bride because she still lived in his home to make sure she remained pure. And Paul was saying later on that as your father, as your spiritual father, it's my responsibility that you remain pure. Now, our engagement situation is totally different, but... I still remember what it was like to be engaged. I, I mean, I've told you that I remember exactly the moment the first time I ever saw Karen. I can tell you what she was wearing down to her earrings. And there was something inside of me that said, she's for me. And she says the same thing about me, that when she saw me for the first time, Something in her spirit said, He's for me. And when I saw her, I was like, wow. And I couldn't wait to get to talk to her. And I maneuvered myself in church. <laughs> it was a singles deal. We did a singles worship every Friday night. It was a community deal. About a thousand singles showed up. We did a full-blown worship service. And... and uh, and so, and so afterwards, we'd all groups would singles would get together and go have dinner uh, together, and hang out. And as as God would have it, Karen's ride left without her. She was visiting, I think, with me or some people, and so they left. So I looked at her and says, "Hey, can I take you? To, you want to ride with me since you don't have a ride?" And she said, "Sure." And so we rode, we sat together, we talked through the whole deal, and I mean, it was. It was a blast. And so, uh, so Karen says, hey, since, since you were nice to me and gave me a ride, she says, uh, how about next week? You come to my apartment early. I'll fix spaghetti and we'll eat together and then we'll go to the worship service together. I says, awesome. So I showed up. The first bite of spaghetti cinched the deal. <laughs> I'm it was of God. I mean, she, Karen's from New York, and I mean, she could fix lasagna and spaghetti like you would not believe. And so, man, I ate till I was sick. 
And uh, we, went to the, we went to the singles deal. And then after it, I, I told Karen, I says, listen, I, I oftentimes, I like to go up to a state park, Huntsville State Park. It's about two hours from Houston, Texas. I love to go look at the lake, look at the water. Uh, you know, sometimes I fish and hike and all that other stuff. I knew she liked the outdoors. And so I says, would you like to go? And she said, I'd love to. So I got up the next morning, uh, got, got her apartment. I'd stopped and gotten, you know, uh, lawn chairs and coolers and drinks and snacks and all the stuff and picked her up. We drove two hours. We went to Huntsville State Park. And you know how it is when you want to impress a girl and uh, you kind of act like I do this all the time type deal? <laughs> so we pull up. And so the guy, the ranger, Ranger Bob, whoever, says, you know, you want a day pass? You're camping. What are you doing? And I says, no, nah, it's just a day pass. We're going to sit out by the lake. And he goes, you sit out by the lake? I go, yeah. He says, we drained it six months ago. <laughs> I'm like, who drains a lake? And so he's like, yeah. He says, uh, we drained it like six months ago. There was a problem with the dam. It, it had a leak in it. And so we, we drained it because we're afraid it's going to break. And so we're rebuilding it and we're going to refill it. And I'm like, within an hour? He's like, no. And so little did we know that this picture that God was about ready to give us was a picture of what our life together would be like. And so, so we went, and so, you know, Karen has taught me so much in life about, about, you know what, you know how people say one day we'll laugh at it, and so she's like, well, why not laugh today? If one day we're going to laugh about this experience, is one day we're going to laugh, let's just laugh today. And so, so we went and we set up our lawn chairs, you know, what would be the, the, the bank, of the lake. So we'd set up our lawn chairs, we had our drinks, we had our snacks, and so we laughed about, isn't the water pretty? Look at the sailboats. Oh, look at those people skiing. Can you believe they're going that fast? They're going to kill each other, you know? You know, that type of deal. But you can only stare at a mud hole so long. <laughs> and, so, and so that got boring. So I says, well, hey, I hike all the time. You want to hike? And she's like, sure. So we put our stuff in, we go find a hiking trail, and she, little did she know that I, listen, I am directionally challenged. Northwest, north, south, west and east, west, we, W-E, west, east, that's all I remember that. That means like nothing to me. You talk north, south, east, west, that doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, I know the mountains are on the west, but, uh, but that's about it. And then it kind of depends where you are, and so, so anyway. Uh, we started hiking, and we got really lost. I mean, really lost. To where Karen's getting nervous, and she's asking me, she's like, do you know where we are? Oh, absolutely. I know. <laughs> and, so, and so then we end, up, we end up in a swamp, and it's getting dark. And I'm, you know, and she's like, are you sure we know? And then I'm starting to cry, and she's encouraging me. <laughs> Because this is really bad. I'm thinking, you know what? We're about ready to spend the night in the woods. Now, this isn't good because, I mean, the swamp was, it, 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 it stank. That's what we'd say in Texas. It, it smelled and we're wading through it. And so when I knew we were in trouble, Karen begins to pray. And so she starts praying. And uh, then we open up to a right-of-way. In Texas, we have right-of-ways, like the forest is so thick that when they, they run power lines through the forest, they bulldoze down all the trees, all the, the, the brush and everything. And so that's where they can run the power lines and check it. So we open up to a power line. I, we still believe it, it was an angel. A guy pulls up on a moped. 
I mean, not, not a three-wheeler, not a four-wheeler, a moped with those small tires. He's, he pulls up and he goes, hey, you guys lost? And I'm like, no, we just need the shortest directions out of here. And he goes, well, where'd you guys start walking? And I says, from the state park. State park? He says, you're in the national forest. You're not even close. He says, you're going to have to follow this right away to the highway. Then, then take a right. He first said south, and that meant nothing to me. So that's a right. And so you go back, you re-enter the state park, and, and so we did that, and, and you know, God, we smelled, and, but we were hungry. And, we, and so uh, then, then we stopped and, and ate pizza, and, and Karen, even then, uh, liked me enough to where she would eat food that she normally wouldn't eat, just to, because I liked it. And uh, that's kind of, you know, it's so, so we ate pizza, and then we went back to her, her, her apartment, and, and then, uh, then I went home. And, and so our next five dates, because we were true Texans, were to the rodeo. And so the Houston Livestock and Rodeo was in town. It was an annual event, huge deal. The whole city shuts down for that. And uh, Karen worked at a company to where they had box seats. And so, so if someone wasn't using the seats, then we could. And so we went, it, I mean, talk about cheap date. Uh, it was like free. And, and so our first five dates, and, and fact is when, when Karen graduates from nursing school, one of the first things we're going to do is go back to Texas and go to the livestock show and rodeo and go to the restaurants that we went to. And so, and so, so I still remember when we got engaged. I remember what that was like. To where every time she was in the room, I knew she was there. Every time I was in the room, she knew I was there. To where they would like consume your thoughts. Remember that? You'd talk forever on the phone and never run out of anything to say. You'd talk about hopes and dreams and stuff going on. You'd write each other. You'd send each other notes. I mean, I remember that. And listen, a lot of times men and comedians especially give women a hard time and say, women are so complicated, I just wish I could understand my wife. No, you don't. Life would be boring. Listen, men, life would be boring if we could figure our wife out in like a week. What else would there be to do? I mean, I'm still, we've been married 26 years, I'm pretty sure. I'm Right? 26 years. We have been married 26 years. Listen, I'm still learning more stuff about Karen. Our kids are out of the house. She went back to college for a nursing degree. I'm married to a college girl. Who would ever thought? And so, I mean, it's awesome. And I'm still learning more about her. You know who I think has it really bad is the women. Men, we haven't changed since middle school. <laughs> I, I told Karen that, and she says, I think it's elementary school. And so... And so we're still laughing at the same dumb old jokes. We're still doing the, dang, the, the, the same dumb stuff. We're still, you know, sports and competition. We're beating our buddies when it means absolutely nothing. You know, we're bragging about, you know, I won this, won that. There's no trophy. There's, no, there's nothing. I mean, you know, a lot of women are saying, you know what? I, I hope when he grows up, he'll get deeper. Listen, we don't get any deeper. This is it. But I remember... I remember what it was like to be engaged and you couldn't wait for the wedding. You couldn't wait till you started your life out together. You had all these hopes and you had all these dreams. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, 
That should be your relationship to God. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know that we are the bride. He is the groom. And one day he's coming back for the bride. One day he's coming back for us. We are betrothed to him. And because of that, what Paul is saying, he should consume you. Do you want to show up at the wedding day with Christ and wonder if you really know him? You don't know anything about him other than he died for your sins? That's it? We live in a time, there's a lot of people that are practically atheist, and we're living in a time they say, we're God believers, we believe in Jesus, but you know what? He's not going to impact any area of my life. And Paul is trying to get them to understand. And to fall in love with him. And understand that he has to be a priority. He has to be a priority in your life. And he goes on in verse 4 and he says this. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Listen, Christianity deals with eternal life. The most important question you can answer and settle for your life is, where are you going to spend eternity? Are you in relationship with him? Are you committed to him? I mean, Jesus is the one that said this. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you may push back and say that's awfully exclusive. It is. But remember, Jesus said that, not me. It is exclusive. I am the Lord your God. I am a consuming fire. I am a jealous God. I want to be in relationship with you where there's purity and where there's integrity and where there's honesty where you're connected to me. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name. And there is, there is no other name. And there, is, and there is a salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, don't miss this. We talk about it a lot. The, the New Testament Christians, the early Christians, you, you know, they were martyred for their faith. They were, they were put to death. They were in prison. They were tortured. They were, they were beheaded. They were, they were put in logs and sawed in two. They were, were drugged through the cities until dead. They were, they were tortured. They were beaten. They were not tortured and beaten and killed because they were a follower of Jesus Christ. Please understand this. It wasn't because, they says, we follow Christ, we believe in Christ, that they were put to death and tortured. Because, see, in their time and in their culture, they believe in multiple gods. They believed in many gods. One more god would not bother them. I mean, more the merrier. I mean, what if we had missed one? Throw one more in so we got all of our bases covered. See, you know why they were killed, tortured? Because they said there is only one God. And I will not bow to Caesar. I will not bow to any other God. The reason they were put to death. He said, Jesus is the only way. 
There's no other way to God except through Him. There is no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. They understood this at the depths of their soul. And they understood in the betrothed process in that period, in that engagement process, that Jesus Christ had to have their sincere and complete devotion. Listen, you will never find power in your life, peace in your life, until you come to the point, until you realize what he's done for you. The second principle is this, is not only that he has to be a priority in our life, but God's word has to become a priority in your life. In other words, God's word has to be applied to your life. You know how I knew that Karen was committed to me? Not because she says yes to my proposal. Not because she says, yes, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. A lot of people can do that. She didn't date anyone else. You know how she knew about me? I didn't date anyone else. I'm just telling you. If someone cannot stay pure in the dating engagement period, you don't have a chance in marriage. First century Christians understood that. See, it wasn't what she said. It wasn't what I said. It's what we did. It was our actions. It's not enough just to read God's Word and just to know God's Word. But you and I have to come to the point to where we'll take His Word and we'll actually apply it to our life. James says, don't be deceived. That it's more than just reading His Word. It's more than just knowing His Word. What makes us married is a covenant and a commitment. Here a while back, I lost my wedding ring. I don't even know where it is. We've looked, and it, it's just a bizarre deal. It's gone. And just because I lost the wedding ring does not make me no longer married. fact is, I just bought one on eBay for $13.95. I can't wait to come in and see what it looks like. <laughs> But what makes us married is the commitment, our actions. And what Paul was trying to get them to understand is, is you've got to understand this. God not only has to be a priority in your life, but you have to be willing to take his word and apply it. I mean, you understand, right? This is the very word of God. Power in your life will not come any other way but by his word. There's power. What gives a church power is His Word. And, and here recently, God has just led me through this process to start memorizing Scripture. I'm memorizing large chunks of Scripture. And it is ministering to me like you would never know. I mean, driving in a car, in a worship service, to where God will bring Scripture back to me. There is power in His Word. You'll never, listen, you will never have power in His life until you begin to read His Word 
and you begin to apply it, you will remain practically atheist the rest of your life. If you never come to the point and open up his word and read it for yourself and apply it to your life. And then Paul does this. He gives them an example, verse 3. He says, But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen, your thought life will destroy you. The battle is in the mind. Whatever has captivated your thoughts right now, whatever has captivated you, whatever is getting your attention, will lead you astray. Listen, Paul did not say he will lead you astray from a, a weak faith. He will lead you astray from a marginal faith. He will lead you astray from just an acquaintance. He said, no. Your thoughts will lead you away from a pure in sincere devotion it's a critical word devotion to Christ Genesis chapter 3 gives a story and gives a just kind of a commentary on what's going on about how the serpent Satan how he deceived Eve uh, in the garden watch this it's just so fascinating three things happen up three things stepped when you become deceived when you wander from your pure devotion to Christ these three things th these three things always take place in a believer's life watch this verse 1 now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first step to being deceived is when you begin to take God's word and question his word. Did God really say that? Did God really say he wanted me to live a pure life? Did God really say he wanted me to live a moral life? Did God really say he wanted to be a man or woman of integrity? Did God really say that he wanted my yes to be yes and my no to be no? Did God really say, did God really tell me how I'm supposed to handle my dating life? Did he really tell me how I was supposed to live marriage and, and be devoted to a wife or devoted to a husband? Did God really say that I was supposed to forgive? Did God really say, when, when, you, when you walk down that slope of being deceived or walking away from the pure and in sincere devotion to Christ, the first thing that happens, you'll begin to question God's Word. You'll come to the point, you'll wonder if His Word is really His Word. Because see, you've got to do something. It's a lot more threatening saying, yeah, it's His Word, God said that, but I'm just not going to do it. It's easier to question His Word and wonder, did He really say that? And then watch this, the next step, verse 2, you'll begin to deny God's Word. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees, plural, in the garden. She's denying God's word. God never said that. God never said that. We do that today. It's okay for me to live however I want. God doesn't care. And the next verse says, this is what God said. But God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the, certain, the serpent said to the woman, You'll not die. You question God's word. You deny God's word. 
The ultimate point of deception is this. There's no consequence to sin. There's no consequence to my decisions. There's no consequence to my actions. And then when there are consequences, you know what most people do? We get angry at God. God, why aren't you blessing my relationship? God, why aren't you blessing my situation? God, why aren't you blessing what's going on in my marriage, my dating life, my relationships? Here's the crazy thing about Adam and Eve. They had one commandment. One. One. I said, you can have anything here. It's all yours. But there's one thing set apart for me. So, you'll question God's word. You'll deny God's word. And then the most damaging thing is, is when he's led you all the way away from pure and sincere devotion to Christ, you'll reverse his word. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of the tree, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. See, Eve was deceived. And like so many of us, we want to use the excuse, sorry God, I was deceived. But even though she was deceived, God still held her accountable for her actions. See what people that are practically atheist they have come to the place to where they believe there's no consequence of sin I can live and I can do as I please I can make decisions as I please and if God doesn't honor it then I can be mad at him and I'll blame him see people will move even believers will move to the point they get so deceived that they believe that the problem is not sin they believe they just got to get better at it the problem is I got caught not what I did the problem is I got caught and you got upset or you caught me and you shouldn't have you shouldn't have looked you see this in our world right after the Tiger Woods deal and, and Elon, his wife, found out about the whole deal from a cell phone and, and call history, you realize there, there's, a, there's a new thing out. And, and I'm going to tell you, I really struggled with this illustration, but it's in Time Magazine. It's pretty public. And so uh, because of that whole deal, that there's a new app for a, a, a smartphone, an iPhone or a BlackBerry, if you don't know what that is, that, that if you have a smartphone, you can buy or download a program, an application program that allows you to do several different deals. And so they've come out with a new app. A company's come out with a new app. It's in Time Magazine, a big article about it. Uh, they announced last week, and so they're having people, I mean, it's, it's making a, a, just a boatload of money. And uh, it's called Tiger Techs. So what it is is this. Is that, is that if you have a mistress, you have a boyfriend, you have a girlfriend, you're in an adulterous affair, or you're a sexting teen, and you don't want your parents to know the type of stuff that you're texting, or you don't want a partner to know your call history, or you don't want to leave any evidence on your phone, then you download Tiger Text to your phone, and then the first time you send a text to your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or adulterer, you know, whoever, that they have to download the same program. program. And so then what happens is, is now it protects you because the text messages is no longer left on the phone. The fact is it's left on Tiger Text's server 
So now there's no evidence on a phone. Then you as an individual, you can make a decision. that Do you want it to delete on read? In other words, as soon as your, 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 your person, as soon as they read it, it, um, it immediately self-destructs and, and deletes. Do you want it to stay on their phone one day all the way up to five days? It also does away with your call history. So there's no way, there's no way possible that a partner could pick up your phone, look at your text history, look at your phone calls that you've been making, or they couldn't even take it to a, a specialist that is a programmer and say, even though they've deleted the text messages, could you tell me what it is? Because it no longer exists there. See, we live in a world. We live in a world that says, the problem is not my actions. The problem is not my sin. The problem is getting caught. And I just got to get better at it. And here's the crazy deal. Professed believers will, will, will download Tiger Text. And they're killing the cause of Christ and Christianity. I was with a business leader this last week. He needs Christ desperately. He needs church desperately. He's a leader in our community. And I said, you know, you just need to start going to church somewhere. Have you ever met Christ? Yeah, I prayed to receive Christ. I know I'm a believer. Do you go to church? No. You need to go to church somewhere. Regardless, if, if our church doesn't fit you, that's fine. Just go to a Bible-believing church. I'll help you. He's like, oh, you don't understand. I'm a leader and I'm with professed believers all the time and I see the stuff they do. And we've come to a point to believe that, you know, the problem is not really sin. I just need to get better at it. They may have got caught, but I'm smarter. They may have gone too far, but I know when to stop. I won't let it consume me like it. If they just had been smarter, if they had just had to kept it in balance better. See, the problem is, is we've come to the point that we don't understand any longer. God's a jealous God. We are betrothed to Him. And He wants purity. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The pain of reaping always exceeds the pleasure or the pain. I, I think I got that. I hope I got that backwards. The pain of sowing or the pain of reaping always exceeds the pain of sowing. Every sports, sports star, every politician that's walked up to the podium and had to confess something, had to say something, have said those words. The pain of sowing always, always exceeds the pleasure of reaping. And I've watched people been so deceived 
and paid a huge price. Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 is talking about marriage and our relationship to Christ is the picture of marriage. You, that's why marriage is sacred. Just so we all know, the goal of marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. That's why people blow in and out of marriages all the time. Just not happy. She's not meeting my needs. She's not meeting my needs. It's the picture of Christ in the church. It's the picture of our relationship to Him. And in Proverbs 5.19, speaking to the husband says, May her love intoxicate you all the days of your life. May you be drunk with love for her. May she intoxicate you. But the same is said of Christ in, the church, in our relationship to Him. May He intoxicate us. May we come to the point where we just can't get enough. Where we come to the point when we'll read His Word and apply it to our life. We won't go to church to where God is placed on exhibit, but we go to church and we experience Him and we engage Him and we connect Him. That's when power comes into your life. That's when peace comes into your life. And so the question that we have before us this morning is this, what is intoxicating you right now? What has captivated you? Is it a hobby? Is it sports? Someone outside of marriage? Is it a goal? Are you intoxicated by Him? To where you'll live your life. Listen, when, man, when you're deeply in love with someone, you want to please them. Are you intoxicated with him to the point that even if the decision is not popular, even if it doesn't make any sense, you'll commit yourself to him.